Our text this morning is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 16. I'm sorry, chapter 6. You won't find a chapter 16 in 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Oh. Give it to me all in one verse there. 2 Timothy. I had written down 1 Timothy. <laughs> okay. I actually had the right text. I was giving it to you wrong. So, 1 Timothy, chapter 6. 17 through 19. Okay. So as soon as I find it, you say 1 Peter, right? <laughs> 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm totally confused this morning, Steve. <laughs> Bob's looking at me and saying, you need to sit down, right? <laughs> Why don't I let, just let you preach this morning, Steve, and we'll just, we'll just forego this. Okay. So we're back into chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. All right? We all there? First Timothy. Chapter 6, 17 through 19. All right. Here it is. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be proud and not to put their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but in God, who provides us with all things richly for enjoyment, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, sharing freely, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the future, in order that they may take hold of what is truly life. Got it the first try. Wait, am I on or off? No, I'm off. There you go. All right. Now we're cooking with gas. I'm sorry. I had it. I gave it to, to you right, Dennis. I had it wrong on my slide. Anyway, and thank you, Jesse, for filling in in the, in the booth uh, today. If that's a booth. Is that a booth? That's a booth. Anyway, how is everyone today? We're off to a great start today. Daniel, glad you could be here to witness this. Uh, great preaching from your brother. My brother is here, Daniel, and uh, it's been good to have him. We're missing some people today, and they're at the youth encampment or youth rally or whatever they call it, which is a good thing. Uh, the more things that we have uh, for our young people to be involved in, the, the better their life with Christ will be. Um, here's a theme that has been uh, popping up today in, in some of the things that Craig said and, and even uh, some of the things that Dennis said, 
And what I want to talk to you this morning about is, what do you need? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay some heavy wisdom down on you this morning. And you're probably thinking, okay, young people are thinking, okay, you're, you're middle-aged. What, what, do you, what wisdom are you going to give me? You look like your life is going right. Sermon went well so far this morning. Why should I listen to you? Good question. And the people older than me are going to be thinking, well, you're too young. Why should I listen to you? Also, good point. Don't listen to me. We're going to be reading Scripture this morning. And we did talk about this a little bit Wednesday. And, and uh, curiously, uh, Bob's talk that he gave hit on this as well. He, he was talking uh, more about, well, won't get too much into Bob's lesson on uh, is Bobby? Oh, there you are. You're in the same place every week. How could I miss finding you? You do, yeah. Um, anyway, it's kind of talking about what do you need, and this is one of those questions we really have to think about, and we have to think about it hard because the answer is not as obvious as you might think. When you think about all the difficulties uh, we go through as people, you think about all the difficulties people go through um, in people you know from work or just people you know in your social circles, people who have really bad problems. Um, it's all about what they need. And this is a question that you ask yourself most people ask themselves on a daily basis, what do I need? If you're going through your life, if you're a typical American, which I don't know if you are or not, I'm not, I'm not there to judge if you're typical. I'm, I'm atypical, clearly. But if you're a typical American, you'll have times in your life where you'll become, as we say, dysregulated. Or in simpler terms, you'll have those times where you just don't, feel so great. You don't feel so happy. You don't feel so satisfied, as Bob was talking about on Wednesday. And when those times come, when things just don't seem to be going your way, what do you do about it? When you feel that physical or mental discomfort, you know what I'm talking about. You may be feeling it right now, listening to me speak. You may be thinking, what's for lunch? Why am I still sitting here? Who is this guy? Why does he just ramble? These are the questions you may be asking yourself this morning. And you feel dysregulated and you say, okay, what do I need to do? What are the things I need? Now, I don't know how many people know this, but I, I think most people under 40 or under 50 even have at least heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I got people nodding their heads. If you've done any kind of management, um, you've definitely been introduced to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. This isn't just a thing for uh, psychologists and counselors. First time that this was laid on me, I was like 17 years old, and we learned it at school. Granted, that was in California. Um, but the reason why we're going to look at this is because this is the thinking that pervades the society in which you live. This is what managers are taught. This is what counselors are taught. This is what preachers are taught. Uh, 
Yeah, preachers are taught this too. Teachers at school are taught this. And you're taught to recognize we all have our different levels of needs. And until we meet the needs at the basic level, then we can't really move up to the next level of need. And so to them, according to Maslow, man is always scratching from one level of need to the next, trying to climb the tower. All right. So it starts off with physiological needs. If you need air... That's obviously going to be the first thing you take care of, is not being able to breathe. Next comes water, if you don't have water and then food. Okay, that sounds pretty good, right? That's probably true. If I can't take care of being able to breathe, I'm probably not going to worry about my love life. Fair enough. Then after that comes long-term safety. Do I have a place to live? Do I have food in the fridge? Again, that seems logical. Once I, once I know I'm not going to die in the next few minutes or the next few days, I'm probably looking farther down the road. And then once you've got all that in place, so says Maslow, you start looking, once you have that, you're looking for love and belonging. You're looking for friends. You're looking for uh, a romantic partner. You're, you're looking for a place to belong. And then once you've achieved that, you start looking to become a respected person like me. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, you start to look to become respected in your community, not a knucklehead. And then once you've reached the esteem and respect, once you're at the top of your field, then you can begin. And you know it's garbage when you hear terms like this. The top, once you reach the, once you've achieved everything you can in your career and your family, then it's about self actualization, becoming the best me I can be. Or the more popular term today is living my best life. Right? Whenever you hear a term like self actualization, you know that someone's probably feeding you something that ain't uh, made with organic materials. So, and when I was in high school, the, the prime examples of self-actualization uh, were Mahatma Gandhi okay, and John Lennon. Sorry, Beatles fans out there, but a guy that leaves his first wife and doesn't talk to his son anymore because his second wife doesn't like it um, probably isn't a person I want to try to be like. But... That's how much the hippies that taught me in school really thought of John Lennon. But the reason why it's important to know this is because, again, this pervades the thinking of Western culture. This is what people think. When, when people who make big decisions are interacting, trying to decide what to do, this is what they go by. And this is how we're taught to live our lives. Right? We're taught, take care of your, your needs, and then you've got to make sure you have the right circle of friends. Make sure you have the right romantic partners. And then you have to have a career, right? You have to build a career, a career that means something. The more career you build, the more points you get. And finally, if you build enough career, you might be able to retire at a young age, even if you're really lucky, and then you can start that process of becoming your truest self. And that's the, the American dream as it sold in 2021. This has been a long time coming. It all comes from this Maslow guy. 
All right? But here's what actually happens. I've lived this. I don't know. I would even say most people have lived this on some level. You get a job, and then you make money. And this happens when you're in your early 20s, for sure. But it continues on through your life. Where you buy stuff. Don't we love to buy stuff? I sometimes buy stuff still. We bought stuff yesterday. Stuff. And you're buying all this stuff, and then you're sitting on your couch at home, and you realize, you know what? My stuff isn't really doing it for me anymore. If you've ever bought a new car, that lasts about two weeks. Then after that, it's just the thing that you get in to go to work. Right? But the payments keep on going and going. Diamonds are forever, and so are the payments. My stuff doesn't make me happy anymore. I have the cool new car. I have the cool new house. I have the cool new hair implants. Oh, sorry. And that stuff doesn't make me happy anymore. But I have to pay off my debts because generally Americans go into debt to buy the stuff they have or to maintain the lifestyle they have. If I don't keep making this money, then I have to change my plans on Fridays and Saturdays and I can't go to that fabulous vacation spot I was going to. But then people realize, well, what if I don't want to work this job? You know what? I'm getting to where I don't like this job anymore. So you work a job you don't like to pay for stuff that no longer even slightly makes you happy anymore. This is what I found over and over again. And I've lived this dream. Where you keep buying stuff to try to make yourself feel better, but then you have to pay off that stuff, so you work a job you don't like to make enough money to cover that. That's where a lot of people are living right now, and the way you get there is by asking yourself, what do I need? And Christ had a a different view of what it is we need, and it's... It's hard to get your head around because it's so opposite of everything else you've ever been taught or or the world has ever shown you. What happens is, and I I don't know how many of you can relate to this, but I remember always being afraid of losing my job for years. If I lose my job, then what's going to happen to my life? I'm already not all that happy. And if I lose my job, then I'll be ruined. I will be ruined. Because if I'm not all that happy now, what happens when I lose my car and my house and all my cool stuff? And then I can't get any more new stuff. And so I'm working this job I don't like, and yet I'm terrified of not having a job. That's the cycle of fear that Satan wants us to be in where we're dependent on things in this world to give us that buzz that doesn't last, and then we're dependent on a job to pay for that buzz. And it's really an addiction cycle. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 13 for a different view on this. I'm going to, as I always do, in case my slides are wrong, that never happens. That's why I turn in my Bible, just to make sure. Okay, yes. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The Hebrew writer says, 
Now listen to, notice these concepts that are stuck together in two verses. Keep your life free from love of money. Okay? Number one, be content with what you have. Number two, because, now this part doesn't seem to follow. This doesn't seem to follow. Be content with what you have because he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Those seem like weird concepts to stick together until you really learn the truth. This is where fear of other people stems from, is your dependence on the world around you. Because guess who has agents all over the place in the world around you? The evil one. And if he can make you dependent on the world around you for everything, then he's got you. And only when you're free from needing anything more than what you already have, only when you're free from that can you really say, the Lord is my helper, I don't fear anyone. This is a lot to get our brains around. We're going to talk about it a little more, see if we can make this more clear. All right. Um, We want to get out of the trap. And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 4 to look more about that. The rest of your life, and young people pay careful attention to this, the rest of your life, Satan is going to push little wedges of cheese in front of you. He's going to do it over and over and over again. He's still doing it to me. He's going to keep doing it. Oh, have you seen Huh? How about this? You know what? This might be the thing that changes everything. Or, you know what? This could be really awesome. Are you sure you can live without this? And what do people talk about at work and at school? Have you bought the new thing? Have you seen the new thing? Have you done the new thing? Because all of them are so happy, aren't they? They've got joy and peace inside their hearts. No, they don't. But that's who we follow. Oh, I'm missing out. I'm missing out. I need to do that same thing too. That's Once you go for that cheese, then Satan can trap you. And I've lived it for years. And it's my honest desire that no one else fall for these traps. And I'm still susceptible to these traps. Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus started his ministry, who was there? Satan was there to tempt him. Jesus was led up by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting... 40 days and 40 nights, he was understandably quite hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, well, if you are the Son of God, are you sure you're the Son of God? Are you sure God loves you? 
A man as hungry as you are doesn't seem like he's very loved to me. If you are the Son of God, then just command these stones to become bread. See how beautiful that is, Jesus? Command these stones to become bread, and then you'll know, right? Don't you want that assurance? I mean, doesn't God love you? And then you can eat. It's a a win, 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 win. Why would you not do that? And he didn't do it because that's not what his father wanted. And Jesus answered him because Jesus knew Scripture. Man shall not live by bread only, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Hmm. Let's... uh, Okay, I'm going to (laughs) actually, that's kind of a weird concept, isn't it? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What does that even mean? And how serious was Jesus about that? He's saying, I literally don't need food. Because I have the truth from my Father. And he took that very seriously. Jesus' disciples you know, often said, look, why don't you stop and eat? And Jesus said, I can't stop and eat. There's work to be done. The harvest is coming. Let's look at Philippians chapter 4. Oh, there we go. Actually, let's do look at that. John chapter 4. Verses 31 through 36. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, Did somebody bring Jesus something to eat? Jesus said to them, no, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Don't say there are still four months left and then the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and look, the fields are white for the harvest. The grain is overripe. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road in our walk with Christ. How much do we really believe any of this? How much do you believe any of this? And unfortunately, if you don't make a decision about this, your decision is, to put it off to another day, which is a decision to not believe God. And you've got to understand that. A decision to think about it a while and decide what you're going to do about it is the same decision as to not believe God. Now, you can go for years like that. Don't do it. Make your decision right now. Do you believe God or do you not? Because if you believe God, this is... 
what God is saying. This is what Jesus, God in the flesh, is saying. I don't need food. I need to do what God has told me to do. Period. I certainly don't need the new Samsung Fold. $2,000 for a phone? I don't think so. I, I certainly don't need a new car. I certainly don't need a new house. What I need is to do the will of the Father. I certainly don't need to go take that fabulous vacation. I need to serve my Father. I don't need that fabulous new guitar. Do I? No, I don't. I need to do the will of my Father. And this doesn't mean that God that we're not allowed to have anything good. It doesn't mean that. We'll look at that here in a second in other verses. What it means is, what do you need? What do you need? And again, think about that question. What do you need? The answer that comes from Christ is nothing except to do what God tells me to do. And if you don't believe that, then you're not walking in the Spirit. You're not walking with God. And if you're like, well, I'm not sure I believe that, again, you need to make up your mind. Because living with one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world will just rip you apart. And I know that from experience, sadly. Now let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Paul is talking about uh, the Philippians and their concern for him. After it seemed like they didn't care for a while. So he writes honestly, well, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now finally you have revived your concern for me. Ooh, that stings. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He's talking about financial needs. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, because I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Notice that he also says he's learned the secret of facing plenty. Because when we face plenty, we start thinking, well, you know what? I'm doing fine. Maybe, maybe everything's good in my life and I can start looking after me. Now that I have friends and a wife and a career, maybe I can start looking to live my best life, to find my true self. Most guys my age who's trying to find their... their their true selves end up fighting, finding a motorcycle and a, a different woman. That's not the path I want to go down. To really find myself, I have to find God. 
That's so different from what the world teaches you, but it is truth with a capital T. To find your true self, you have to go to the one who created you because only he knows your true self. He made you. There's no instruction manual for being you, but you do know the manufacturer and the designer, and that's God. So go to him to find your true self. All right, let's quickly go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, not chapter 2, and not 2 Timothy. We're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to read quite a bit here, so I'll try to do it semi-quickly. All right. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Don't take advantage of the fact that you're a Christian. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that goes along with godliness... He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Whew! That's a lot of fire right there. But we, did t- we do talk about this on Wednesday. What causes quarreling? What causes strife? Where it starts with? I need. I need. I need you to respect me. I need to get my way. I need a certain amount of reassurance and money. And I deserve. That's where it starts with. And some people use their brothers and sisters to try to get some kind of gain. And those people will tear the body apart with their false teachings. And they're trying to jockey for position. Because they think it meets some need that they have. But he continues in verse 6. Godliness with contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain because we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. That's something that just seems to be hard to figure out, right? If you accomplish all the things that you want to accomplish, if you're John Lennon and you create the the beloved, the holy John Lennon, and you create an awesome catalog of songs, so that he's, he hasn't been around since 1980. Is that right, 1980? He didn't collect on any of that. All of his self-actualization, where is he now? Where is he now? Facing his maker. Accounting for the lyrics, imagine there's no heaven. Wouldn't everything be wonderful? I don't wish ill for John Lennon, obviously, or his family, 
But at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is your creator and the fact that you can't bring anything out of this world. Verse 8, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. We'll choose to be content with what we have. And there's the secret. Be content with what you have, because if you're not, you are telling God that he is not good at being God. When Jesus was in the desert, when Jesus was on the cross, Jesus didn't say, you know what? I don't think you're so good at being God. I need to not be in this much pain. I I need to not be humiliated. I thought I was your son. And look what's happening to me. I need to get down from this cross. I need everybody here to apologize to their Lord and King. He didn't say any of that. He did the will of the Father. Not just because it was the right thing to do that God wanted, but because it's the right thing to do always for ourselves. No matter how much it seems like, that's not the case. That's hard to get our minds around. But again, you have to decide, do you trust God that much or not? Verse 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a trap. They grab the cheese. That's not in there. I put that in there. And it leads to many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. These are not the words I came up with. These are Paul's words. Paul the Apostle saying the things I wish I had listened to earlier in my life. If you're young or even if you're not young, listen to this. Be content with what you have today because God loves you every microsecond of every day. And if you're not content with what you have, I can tell you, you won't be content with what you think you need. Got me on that? If you're not content with what you have, I promise you, I promise you, you will not be content with that thing you think you need. I promise you. You will grab the cheese and you will be in that trap. Verse 10, this is misquoted a lot. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Money is not the root of all evil. That's not what it says here. It says the love of money is a root of all kinds of different kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Listen to that carefully. If you want to know who's going to be gone from this room, I'll tell you who's going to be gone from this room in five years. Those who through their craving have wandered away. That's what makes people wander away. I need some me time. No, you don't. You don't need me time. You need God time. Notice he says, wandered away and pierced themselves with many pangs. That's the trap. 
Satan's trap is even better. He lets you get a good belly full of cheese before he snaps it down on your neck. It's a much more insidious trap than a mouse trap. Going uh, verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee from these things, please. Instead, pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Pursue faith. Pursue, pursue love. Pursue steadfastness. Pursue gentleness. We don't pursue gentleness in 2021. I am a man. I pursue people with these buddies right here. These guns. Okay, it's not funny. No one takes me seriously. I'm not a very threatening person. Fight the good fight of the faith. Don't fight the other fights. Leave the other fights to God. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold not of the brass ring, whatever that means. Take hold not of your career goals and your hashtag life goals. Take hold of the eternal life that you were given to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. For every Christian in the room, that's true. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made good the confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. And he will. He who is the blessed and only Sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, command them not to be haughty, not to be full of themselves, not to be stuck up nor to set their hopes on riches, because riches are uncertain things. Don't live your life trying to build the perfect nest egg. If you get a perfect nest egg, fine, but don't live your life trying to build the perfect nest egg. Build your life trying to be exactly who God wanted you to be, because God provides us with everything to enjoy. Did you catch that part? God doesn't want you to suffer. He doesn't want me to suffer. Honestly, He spoils me, and I'll bet He spoils you too. I bet He spoils you too. Because God gives us not what we want, but what we actually do need. And He keeps from us things that we think we need that we can't handle. That's the truth. God is a lot better at giving you what you need than you are forgetting what you think you need. Trust Him. People who are rich are to do good. To be rich not in money, but in good works. To be generous and ready to share, thereby storing up treasure for themselves 
as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I'll leave with this uh, uh, verse. This is the last one. This is one of my favorite psalms, and I'm going to be skipping around in Psalm 16. But it's one I get. This is our last verse, I promise. I understand what David is saying. You remember David had spent a lot of time going out and deciding what it is he needed. He didn't do such a good job picking for himself either. Here's some things he says in Psalm 16. The Lord is my chosen paycheck and my meal and plans for the evening. Now I'm translating that from Hebrew, Hebrew colloquialism into American colloquialism. He is my chosen portion and my cup. I want to get paid by God, and I want God to set my plate at the end of the day. God holds my entire savings account. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. That means I'm lucky to be who I am. It's, I got, this is who I get to be. When they, when they divided up the world into different people, God chose me to be me, and for that I'm thankful. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Skipping down to verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. I'm glad, and I rejoice, and I'm safe, not because of the house I live in, or the neighborhood I live in, or because of the number of dollars in my bank account. I rejoice, and I'm glad, and I'm safe, because God is my God. Finally, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the good God. This is the loving Father that wants to spoil His children, but also wants His children to trust Him and to obey Him. That's the God we serve. So, I'm going to ask you one final time, what do you need? If you have a need, maybe Christ's body can help. If you have a need to say, God, I want to try to be your son or your daughter. That's the kind of need I'm talking about specifically right now. If you've lived, if your neck is caught in the trap, you can be set free. If you have a need that we can pray with you about today, or if you have a need to become a Christian and be set free, please come forward right now as we stand and we sing this song.